What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So I know I've been saying I wanted to do an MLB trade deadline recap for a long time now, so today is going to be the day. Finally, long-awaited, I know long overdue as well. I'm just going to break down some of the biggest trades, give some insight into who I think was a winner and a loser of the trade deadline, and also discuss why some teams went all in and why some teams didn't. So anyway, start off. The biggest trade of the trade deadline was Juan Soto, superstar outfielder for the Washington Nationals, was traded to the San Diego Padres for an absolute haul of prospects. The Nationals received first baseman Luke Voigt and MLB, uh, but everyone else really uh, prospects. Mackenzie Gore is an MLB player as well, but the rest, all prospects for the most part. So Luke Voigt, left-handed pitcher, Mackenzie Gore, former top 10 MLB prospect in 2021. Shortstop C.J. Abrams, San Diego's number one prospect heading into the season. He has played some time at the major league level. Outfielder Robert Hassel III, San Diego's number one prospect. He's the number 21 prospect in the MLB at the time of the trade. Outfielder James Wood, my favorite prospect in this deal, San Diego's third prospect and the number 88 prospect in the MLB at the time of the trade deadline. And then right-handed pitcher Holland Susana, San Diego's number 14 prospect. If you look at it, the deal was actually supposed to include first baseman Eric Hosmer, but he did not waive his no-trade clause to go to Washington. He ends up as a Red Sox, but he doesn't let the deal go through, so then they end up trading Luke Voigt instead of Hosmer. But if you look at it, A.J. Preller went all in, all in. You get Josh Bell, who has been struggling with the Padres, hitting just 153 with a 274 on base percentage, a 278 slugging percentage, a 552 OPS with two home runs and five RBIs in 20 games with the Padres heading into yesterday. And all of these stats are heading into yesterday's games. But if you look at it, he was unreal with the Nationals this year. Hit 301 with 14 home runs, 57 RBIs, and an 877 OPS in 103 games with Washington. So I know I only talked about Juan Soto so far, but they also got Josh Bell in this deal. Josh Bell, a stud first baseman. And you look at Soto, hitting 286 with San Diego in 18 games, heading into last night with two home runs and an 898 OPS as a Padre. And if you look at what he's done historically... For that, for that Nationals team, he was unreal. He won the World Series. He's one of the best players in the game of baseball, and that's why this was such a big trade because not often do you see a player traded at his age, only 23 years old, at his caliber, one of the best players in baseball, and such a prized and successful baseball player at this level too. I mean, he's won a World Series, was the batting title winner actually in 2020, if you look at it, it doesn't just stop there. He won a World Series with them in 2020, as I said. Such a generational talent, was the home run derby champion this year, and was also a two-time silver slugger in his time with Washington. So the reason why I want to do this episode, even though it's been three weeks, is because how big this trade deadline was for some teams like the Padres. I just wanted to break down some of the biggest deals, even though it's obviously been a while. So with a lot of these trades in mind you already see now a month just about of a lot of these guys on these new teams so i have stats of what they've been doing on their new team so as a soto hit 286 with san diego in 18 games of two home runs and 898 ops he's actually the first player 23 years old or younger to change teams mid-season the year that they're an all-star and that stat came from espn so credit to them but if you look at what they got in return for washington this is a great return in my opinion a very underrated return for washington they got a lot in return for a rebuilding team. They're a rebuilding team. If they weren't going to sign Soto, especially after they gave him a 15-year, $440 million contract extension that he denied, what can you do? After he declined it, that's all Washington can really give. Washington's not going to give much more. But you look at what they got in return. 
They got a stud in James Wood, an outfielder who's an absolute beast, six foot seven, two hundred forty pound outfielder with tremendous power. Only nineteen years old too. Had ten home runs, forty five RBIs, stole fifteen bases, and a three thirty seven batting average, and a one oh five four, ten fifty four OPS in fifty games for the Padres single A team. So he's very young, only nineteen years old. Hitting three forty two for Washington single A team in six games with two home runs, fourteen runs batted in, four stolen bases, and a nine thirty eight OPS. This kid's an absolute stud, absolute stud. Then they got Hollywood Susana, only 18-year-old pitching prospect. Only 18 years old. Fastball sits 102-103 and gets up to 103 miles per hour. 103 miles per hour. And he also has a 91 to 95 mile per hour sweeping slider. So such a stud pitcher as well. 169 ERA and two starts. In five and one-third innings pitched, he has nine strikeouts to five walks. Now Mackenzie Gore, as I said, was a former top 10 prospect in the major leagues. 4-4 four four record on the year in 16 appearances, making 13 starts for San Diego with the 4-5 ERA. The issue with him is walks. He's only 23 years old, so he's young. But the issue with him is walks. 72 strikeouts to 37 walks and 70 innings pitched. But as I said, he was a former top left-handed pitching prospect in the game of baseball at one point. So still a good return getting him, especially considering Washington's a rebuilding team. They could build around him one day. Then they also got C.J. Abrams, a shortstop, 21 years old, had two home runs with 11 RBIs and a two thirty two batting average in 46 games at San Diego this year. Is hitting 182 with a 388 OPS and three RBIs with no home runs in nine games with Washington. He did hit, though, 290 with a 698 OPS in AAA for Washington. Washington's AAA team is Rochester, so hitting pretty well for them with a 290 batting average. Then Robert Hassel III is the last piece in return. 20 year old prospect. Hitting 299 in single A for San Diego this year with 10 home runs, 55 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, and 23 attempts. So he adds a lot of speed and 846 OPS in 75 games. He is struggling, though, with Washington. 211 batting average in their farm system with a 548 OPS and three RBIs in 10 games. And they also added Luke Voigt, so another major league piece besides Gore. But you look at what they got in return, that's a ton. But as I pointed out in an episode a few days ago, probably I think it was on Sunday, the Dodgers and Cardinals could have easily put a package together for Soto. Easily. But they just were not willing to deal their top prospects like like San Diego was. San Diego wanted to go all in, and I respect that. The Dodgers, seven top 100 prospects, six top 100 prospects for the Cardinals. So they easily could have got a deal done for Juan Soto. But at the end of the day, they didn't want to give up the price. And you've got to respect either way. Whether you want to go all in, you'd be like San Diego, respect it. But the Dodgers and the Padres can win already without mortgaging their whole future. So I respect both of those decisions. The Padres also landed left-handed reliever Josh Hader in a deal with Milwaukee. They sent the Brewers, their own closer, Taylor Rogers, right-handed pitcher, Denelson Lamette, and also added in two prospects in that deal. Hader and Rogers were both actually the two leaders in saves in the MLB at the time of the trade deadline. Hader, one of the most dominant closers in the game of baseball for the last few years, actually had 119 saves since 2019 with the Brewers before being dealt. But he has been struggling this year. 4-2-4 ERA and 34 saves with Milwaukee this year. Had a 1-2-3 ERA in 2021 with 29 saves, 102 strikeouts with 24 walks, and 58 two-thirds innings pitched with the Brewers. But he's been struggling in July, and that was his issue. He struggled in July, as I should say. 12-5-4 ERA and 9 and one-third innings pitched. So, obviously, July was not his best month, and that's a big reason he was probably dealt. But what they got in return... Honestly, at the end of the day, wasn't going to make them a better or worse ball club, I guess, since Rodgers has been struggling a ton with the Brewers, has a 5-6-3 ERA in eight games, 
with one save in Milwaukee, had a 4.35 ERA with 28 saves in San Diego, with 48 strikeouts and nine walks at 41 and one-third innings pitched. He also struggled in July in 10 games at the Padres, had a 9.31 ERA in those 10 games. So that's a big reason they both are dealt. I guess both teams just figured, let's swap these guys and see if one of them can heat up and you know take a risk with either one of them. But as I said, both closers struggled in the month of July for their respective teams and now are struggling with their new teams as well. Both were the number one and number two leaders in saves at the time of the trade deadline. In addition to that, San Diego sent the number seven and number 28 prospects in the deal to Milwaukee. And then Lamette had a 9.49 ERA in 13 games at San Diego. He was traded to Milwaukee and then was picked up by waivers by Colorado, actually, just recently. So... Two, three, five ERA and seven appearances out of the bullpen for Colorado, but struggled with a 9-4 ERA in San Diego. Next up, another big deal. The Baltimore Orioles traded first baseman slash outfielder slash designated hitter Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros in a three-team trade. The Astros got first baseman Trey Mancini from Baltimore and then right-handed pitcher Jaden Murray from Tampa Bay. Murray's a pitching prospect. Aston Mancini had a 2.68 batting average, a 2.68 batting average, and 10 home runs and 41 runs batted in with Baltimore this year. He has a 232 batting average with five home runs and 13 RBIs and a 790 OPS with the Astros. Obviously a big pickup for the middle of that Astros lineup that's already stacked as is. But when you add a guy like Trey Mancini, who's been an all-star before, who's hitting 268 on the year with 10 home runs, you add him to the middle of your lineup, your lineup's only going to get better. And then Mancini, as I said, though, has been struggling a little with the Astros. 232 batting average, five home runs, 13 RBIs, and a 790 OPS with Houston since being dealt. He's a career 270 hitter and has been given the chance now to go win a World Series. And Baltimore's been struggling for the, a lot of his tenure there. And he's a big reason they were really good this year and they got better. But now he's a chance to go win a World Series and he deserves it. No one deserves it more than him, especially considering all the losing seasons he went through with Baltimore. So, for what the Orioles got in return, they got Seth Johnson, a right-handed pitcher from the Rays, and also right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott from Houston. Both Johnson and McDermott are both prospects as pitches. And then the Rays landed outfielder Jose Seri from Houston, hit three home runs with 10 RBIs, and stole six bases with a 178 batting average with Houston before being traded. He has a 210 batting average and a 548 OPS with Tampa Bay since the trade. Now I'm going to break down what the Red Sox did. They tried to catch a Christian Vasquez to the Houston Astros for utility minor league prospect Emmanuel Valdez. Valdez was the number 28 prospect in the Houston Astros system. And then the Sox also landed William Abreu, an outfielder and an outfielding prospect, number 29 prospect in the Houston system. The Astros catches, though, before this trade, were hitting 164 on the season with a 232 on base percentage at the time of the deal. So Vasquez, before the trade with the Red Sox, was hit 282 with a 327 on base percentage. Now with Houston hitting 344 with a 707 OPS and a 364 on base percentage in 12 games with the Astros. So obviously a clear upgrade than what they had. He has been primarily a backup catcher in his time with Houston so far. But if you look at it, I know the Red Sox probably knew this team wasn't going anywhere, even though they had the mentality, let's still try to win now. This team wasn't going anywhere, and at the end of the day, even though I still consider the Red Sox loser on the trade deadline because they didn't trade everything, it's not like I'm saying they're a loser because they didn't buy. They're a loser because they didn't sell everyone, and they should have sold everyone. But if you look at it, Christian Vasquez wasn't really going to be much of a difference with the Red Sox end of the season. We weren't going to make a run anyways, and if they saw we weren't going to compete in October anyways, they probably just said, let's rip it up and trade them. And if the Sox believed in this year's team, they probably would have kept Vasquez. But it looks like a good decision now trading him since this team is going nowhere with or without Vasquez. And then you look at it, the Red Sox also got first baseman Eric Hosmer to deal with the San Diego Padres. 
the left-handed pitching prospect Jay Groom. The Sox also received significant cash compensation and two prospects in that deal. They got second baseman Max Ferguson from the Padres, number 11 prospect, and also outfielder Corey Roger, the number 26 Padres prospect. Both of those guys have great speed. Roger in high A, Fort Wayne for San Diego. As I said, both guys have great speed. Showed 33 bases and 37 attempts. Also hit six home runs, had 37 RBIs, and had a 263 batting average with a 777 OPS. And if you look at it now, he's playing for Greenville in the Red Sox farm system right now. So high A still either way. So it wasn't like he was moving up the ranks in the Red Sox farm system. Then for Ferguson, he's also playing for Greenville. So high A for the Red Sox as well. Played low A for San Diego with a 247 batting average and a 767 OPS. With three home runs, 39 RBIs, and 51 stolen bases and 55 attempts in 64 games. Ferguson... In Greenville for this Red Sox high A team, hitting 200 with 390 on base percentage in 14 games. As for what the Red Sox got in return, they got Hosmer, four-time Gold Glove winner, World Series winner with the Royals, and a one-time All-Star. Has no home runs and four RBIs with the Red Sox, with a 225 batting average and a 611 OPS in 12 games. One thing about Hosmer, though, is he's a great defensive first baseman, even though he might have been struggling there with San Diego this year. He's better than what the Red Sox had in Dahlbeck and Cordero. Has a 988 fielding percentage with one error in 12 games with the Red Sox. Better than what we've had, as I said. He has been hurt, though, and now has been on the IL recently with low back inflammation. But the Padres sent significant cash compensation to the Red Sox. They're paying most of his $44-plus million that he's due. And what they sent in total was $43 million. And the Sox are only paying Hosmer $246,000 for the remainder of this season. $720,000 in 2023. 740000 in 2024, and then $760,000 in 2025. So the Red Sox are paying him nothing to be an upgrade at first base offensively and defensively, even if it's not by much offensively, and it's better than what we've had defensively for sure, which offensively is definitely better than Cordero and Dahlbeck, and you're getting obviously an upgrade defensively as well. So you're paying him no money for each of the next three years. I believe the Red Sox have options in all three of those seasons. The Sox did send for him a 12th overall pick in the first round of the 2016 MLB Draft. Jay Groom played in Double A Portland for the Red Sox this year in Double A in 16 games, making 14 starts, had a 3.52 ERA with 81 strikeouts to 38 walks and 76 and two thirds innings pitched, had a 3.94 ERA in Worcester Triple A for the Red Sox. Had 15 strikeouts, a 7 walks, and a 1-5 whip in those games with Worcester. Now he's playing for AAA in San Diego for El Paso. Has a 2.87 ERA in three games for the Padres AAA squad. The Red Sox also acquired outfielder Tommy Pham from the Reds for a player to be named later. This is the best deal the Red Sox made at the trade deadline. Hit three home runs with 13 RBIs and has a 2.67 batting average with a 7.88 OPS in 18 games with the Red Sox. Had 11 home runs, 39 RBIs, and a 238 batting average with seven stolen bases in 91 games in Cincinnati. He's been hitting leadoff for the Red Sox when playing and has been upgrade at the leadoff position for this Red Sox team over Jaron Duran. So big pickup there for that Red Sox team, especially considering he's been the best deal we've made. The Red Sox traded left-handed pitcher Jake Diekman. He's a reliever to the White Sox for catcher Reese McGuire. Diekman had a 4-2-3 ERA and 44 appearances for the Red Sox this year. Had 51 strikeouts to 30 walks and 38 in the third innings pitched. Does get a lot of strikeouts, but walks are his issue. Seven walks per nine innings pitched with the Red Sox on average, per nine innings that is. Has a 4-7 ERA and 10 appearances with Chicago with 12 strikeouts and seven walks and seven and two-thirds innings pitched. So his walks haven't gotten much better there. He's still pretty much the same pitcher, strikes to walkout ratio and walks per nine innings pitched. 
The Red Sox got Reese McGuire in a turn, as I said, a catcher hitting 378 with Boston, a 405 slugging percentage, a 790 OPS in 13 games for the Red Sox. He had 225 with zero home runs and 10 RBIs and a 546 OPS in 53 games for Chicago. Seems like a good deal, especially considering Deakman wasn't helping us out at all anyways out of the bullpen, even though he was probably our best left-handed pitching reliever right now. At the time of the trade down, and he actually was pitching well, this Red Sox team was not going anywhere with or without him. And after trading Vasquez, you need someone to step in there since you can't have Pulecki catching every single night. And Reese McGuire is an upgrade over Pulecki defensively, too. He actually has a really good arm, and Pulecki gives up a ton of stone bases. Reese McGuire at least cuts guys down. As for the Red Sox, they made room for a lot of these deals by releasing a couple guys. So they released Yoma Sanchez and then also released Jackie Bradley Jr. So his second stint with the Red Sox didn't go too well. He was actually signed by the Toronto Blue Jays with the Red Sox this year. He had three home runs, 29 RBIs, and a 578 OPS with a 210 batting average. With Toronto, he's hitting 211 with a 602 OPS and four runs batted in in 11 games heading into last night. And if you look at it, the Red Sox weren't going anywhere with or without him. But at the end of the day, his defensive ability, I think, still warrants a position over a guy like Jaron Duran in the outfield who's hitting like 230 or 240 on the year now and is such a downgrade defensively. I'd take Jackie Bradley Jr.'s 210 slash 220 batting average all day. And if you look at what Jackie's been doing at Fenway Park this year, he's been raking at Fenway. So the Red Sox should have just kept him on the bench as a bench piece and maybe played him at Fenway. But at the end of the day, that wasn't in the Red Sox's best interest. And honestly, now Jackie Bradley Jr. goes to a good team in Toronto and has a chance to compete in the playoffs. So not a bad pickup for him. And Jackie, thank you so much for everything you did for the Red Sox in your time here in both stints. I'll always be a big fan of you and wishing you nothing but the best of luck in Toronto. So the Red Sox could have extended $19 million qualifying office to Vasquez. Obviously, that wasn't worth it. He's not worth $19 million. But then also, they could have done it for Evaldi as well, which... Maybe that's a reason they didn't deal him since they want to extend a qualifying offer to him. But at the end of the day, I think the Red Sox could have ripped this up a little more. And if you're not going to re-sign Nate Evaldi, give him a qualifying offer in the offseason, probably should have traded him, especially considering now he's in the I.L. and really hasn't pitched much since the trade deadline. But as I said, the Red Sox knew Christian Vasquez's value, and they figured the return was greatest now. We're not going anywhere with the team we have now, and the chance that he comes back in free agency is still not that low. It's say, I'd say it's like 50-50 he still comes back to Boston, especially considering in his press conference, he said in his introductory press conference with Houston that there's a chance he always comes back to Boston as a free agent. Free agency still leaves an open door to come back. So still I think there's a chance he comes back and maybe the Red Sox might do what the Yankees did by trading Rodas Chapman at the trade deadline and getting Gleyber Torres in return, which obviously this return is a Gleyber Torres, but the Red Sox got you know, two prospects in return for Christian Vasquez, for a guy that really wasn't going to help us much anyways at the end of this season since we weren't going anywhere, for just a half a season with Houston for Vasquez, and then they might get him back in free agency like the Yankees did with the Rosas Chapman. They traded him at the trade deadline when the Cubs won in 2016 and then got him back in free agency. So now I'm going to break down some of the other bigger deals. The Angels want to break down some of their deals. They traded pitcher Noah Syndergaard, who signed a one-year $21 million deal in the offseason with L.A., to the Philadelphia Phillies for former 2016 first overall pick, Mickey Moniak. He's an outfielder, and then they also got a prospect back in return. I'm a big Moniak fan. He hasn't been struggling with injuries, though, but I think he has a bright future if he can just stay on the field and stay healthy. Then also, they traded outfielder Brandon Marsh also to the Philadelphia Phillies as well for a catching prospect, Phillies' number three prospect in the assistant they got. That was the catcher. 
And then they also traded closer Rosella Iglesias to the Atlanta Braves with Jesse Chavez and a right-handed pitcher, Tucker Davidson. So they got two pitches back in return. Now this is actually the 10th time that Chavez was traded. This now is ninth different team, including playing numerous stints with four of those nine clubs. So 10th different time he's been traded. So nothing new for him. Now he's been traded to the Angels from that Braves team. Look what the Yankees did. They did a ton. They were very active at the trade deadline. They traded four prospects to the Oakland Athletics for Ace, Ace, Frankie Montas, and then also reliever Lou Trevino. Look at what the Yankees gave up. They gave up the number five, number 10, number 20, and number 21 prospects in return to Oakland for that deal. Montas had a 4-9 and nine record in 18 starts with a struggling Oakland A's team. That's why he had such a bad record. With a 3-1-8 ERA on the year with Oakland before the trade. He's a 7-3-2 ERA in four starts with the Yankees, so he's been struggling. The Yankees also traded left-handed pitcher Jordan Montgomery to the Cardinals for center fielder Harrison Bader. Bader, a great defensive center fielder, has not played since June. His last game played was June for that Cardinals team. Has not played at all for the Yankees since the trade. Has a two fifty six batting average on the year. As for what their Cardinals got back in return, Jordan Montgomery has been unreal. They won this deal by far already. By far. 4-0 and at four starts with a .35 ERA, giving up just one earned run and 13 hits in 25 and one-third innings pitched with the St. Louis Cardinals. He's been dominant. Dominant. One of the best pitchers in baseball over the last month since the trade deadline. Probably the best pitcher in baseball over that stretch. And they got him for a hurt center fielder who hasn't played a game yet for the Yankees. Then you look at another trade the Yankees made. The Yankees acquired reliever Zach Efros from the Cubs in exchange for their number seven prospect, Hayden Wesneski. Wesneski had a 3-5-1 ERA and AAA for the Yankees in 19 starts. And then you look at what Efros has done. 2-6-6 ERA in 47 games with Chicago and is a 3-2-4 ERA for the Yankees since the trade. So that's not a bad trade. Obviously, considering they only gave up their number seven prospect and get a reliever in return, Efros, who's going to help them in the postseason and make a run in the back end of their bullpen. The Yankees did trade struggling outfielder Joey Gallo to the Los Angeles Dodgers for right-handed pitcher Clayton Beater. Beater is a prospect, number 15 prospect in that Dodgers system. Gallo had an abysmal career with the Yankees, 140 games, had a 159 batting average with a 660 OPS, and really just never found his stride, but he's been playing better with that Dodgers team, and the Dodgers have been playing a lot better with him in their lineup since the trade. The Dodgers have such a great record, and the Yankees have been struggling, so maybe the curse of Joey Gallo was a legitimate thing. As for Bita, has 88 strikeouts and 51 and two-thirds innings pitched for the Dodgers double-A team before the trade, and holds a 5.75 ERA in those 51 and two-thirds innings pitched, but has 88 strikeouts, so young prospect, maybe will help that Yankees farm system in the future, especially considering the Yankees trade a lot of prospects for Frankie Montas. They get something back in return now to help rebuild their farm system. And now you look at another stud pitcher, so not just Frankie Montas was traded at the trade deadline. Reds ace Luis Castillo was traded to the Mariners for four Seattle Mariners prospects, all four of those prospects go into Cincinnati in return. Seattle sent their number one and number three prospects, including Edwin Arroyo, a shortstop. Their number three prospect in their system. They also sent their number five prospect. And then also sent Andrew Moore, an unranked pitching prospect. But they sent four prospects, their first, third, and fifth prospects, to make that deal happen and land Luis Castillo. So two shortstops and two pitches in return. Castillo, before the trade, had a 4-4 four four record. With a 2.86 ERA and 14 starts with Cincinnati. With Seattle, has a 1 1 record with a 3.16 ERA and 4 starts with 29 strikeouts to 7 walks and 25 and 2 thirds innings pitched. Another trade 
The Royals sent their second baseman slash outfielder Whit Merrifield to the Toronto Blue Jays for two prospects in that Toronto farm system. Merrifield had six home runs and 42 RBIs with a 240 batting average and 15 stolen bases and 18 attempts with the Royals before the trade. So obviously they add now a guy off the bench or a potential starter as well. He's, I think he's done both now for that Blue Jays team. Merrifield, 15 stolen bases, adds speed off the bench. 240 batting average, he's typically a better hitter than that. Toronto sent the number 16 prospect, Samad Taylor, a second baseman slash outfielder, and then also a pitching prospect in return. They sent both of those to Kansas City in return for Merrifield. The Cubs sent their closer, David Robinson, to the Phillies. For the Phillies, number 26 prospect, so that's who the Cubs got in return. A right-handed pitcher, Ben Brown, the number 26 prospect in the Phillies farm system. Robinson had a 2-2-3 ERA and 14 saves in 36 games with Chicago. With the Phillies, he's a 1-8-6 ERA in 9 games with 4 saves. So obviously a great return for that Phillies team, getting a guy that can help them in the bullpen, especially considering they're going to be making a postseason run. The Orioles sent their closer, Jorge Lopez, to the Twins. Minnesota sent four prospects back to a very strong Baltimore farm system. They already have a very strong farm system as is. Now they get four prospects in return for Jorge Lopez. One of those prospects, Kate Povich, was in the deal. The Twins' number 22 prospect in a former third-round pick in 2021. Lopez had 19 saves in 44 games with a 1.68 ERA in Baltimore before the deal. He has three saves in a three ERA in nine games with Minnesota after the deal. The Red sent utility man, Brandon Drury, second baseman slash third baseman typically, to the San Diego Padres. He's on a one-year $900,000 deal, so such a bargain considering what they got out of him. But Drury was sent to the Padres team for a prospect. Drury with San Diego since the trade deadline has three home runs and a 208 batting average of 20 games with the Padres. He's on a one-year $900,000 deal, as I said. So after the season, he'll be a free agent, but he'll be getting some money. He had 20 home runs and 59 RBIs in 92 games with the Reds. So he'll definitely be getting a multi-year deal at the end of this season and in the offseason at some point. As I said, the Reds got a prospect back in return. So the Reds were very active in the trade deadline. They also sent outfielder Tyler Naquin and left-handed pitcher Philip Deal to the Mets for two prospects in that Mets farm system. For the Reds, Naquin hit 256 with seven home runs in 56 games before the trade. And the Reds really just ripped it up. And I respect that at the end of the day. They were actually one of my winners at the trade deadline considering they weren't going anywhere and completely ripped it up and rebuilt their farm system. So for some plays that stayed put, the Cubs held on to outfielder Ian Happ and catcher Wilson Contreras. Both of those guys staying with surprising deals, especially considering Contreras was supposed to be traded for a month he was being shopped in, in trade talks. But at the end of the day, the Cubs end up keeping him, and I'm sure he's happy about it, especially considering he's been a Cub for a long time and wanted to stay. He won a World Series with them, and he never wanted to leave. J.D. Martinez, Nate Evaldi, Michael Walker, and Rich Hill all stayed put with the Red Sox. The Royals held on to outfielder Michael A. Taylor despite being in trade talks a good amount. The Angels held on to stud superstar two-way phenom Shohei Otani. And you can't trade him, in my opinion. You've got to give him a big deal. As I said the other day, Adi Moreno, the Angels' owner, will be selling the team at some point. So hopefully they end up paying whoever the new owner is. They end up paying Shohei Otani a five, six, seven, eight-year deal to keep him in an Angels uniform for a long time at $45-plus million a year. That's what he deserves, especially considering he's probably second right now in the AL MVP race. And if Judge keeps struggling, who knows? And if Otani heats up, I think Judge is the AL MVP right now. But if Judge keeps slowing down and, let's say, Otani heats up in the last month or two of the season, month and a half now, 
since, you know, there's about a month left of the regular season, so there's not much time left. But if he heats up, he might have a chance to be a reigning two-time MVP. Won the MVP last year as an Angel, and I don't think you can trade him, so I'm happy he stayed put with that Angels team. Washington kept Nelson Cruz, long-time designated hitter in the major leagues. Very old now. I think he's 42 or 43 years old. This year with Washington, he's hitting 236 right now with 10 home runs, 61 runs batted in, a 314 on base percentage, a 350 slugging percentage, and a 664 OPS with a 92 OPS plus. You look at what he did last year, though. With Tampa Bay, he was traded there at the trade deadline, I believe, if I remember right. Had 13 home runs with 36 RBIs in a 226 batting average in 55 games. With Minnesota, before being dealt, had 19 home runs and 50 RBIs with a 294 batting average in 85 games at 40 years old. Last year, 40 years old for the Minnesota team. He had 294 as a batting average with 19 home runs at 50 RBIs. Also, three stolen bases somehow. He has four stolen bases this year with Washington. Has not been caught, actually, in an MLB game since 2019. Since 2019, so for the 2020, 2021, and 2022 seasons, he has seven stolen bases and no caught stealing attempts. So, very impressive. He's been playing, I guess, good baseball on the base paths. But this year, he's 42 years old right now. was 41 at the start of this season with Washington in 111 games. Has 16 doubles, 10 home runs, and 61 RBIs. Last year, obviously, was a great season. From 32 home runs, 86 RBIs, and a 265 batting average between the Twins and Rays. He will not be hitting that 32 home run mark this season and probably won't be hitting that 86 RBI mark either. But, obviously... No teams probably want him at the trade deadline since Washington really has no reason to keep him. I think he's on a one-year deal, so they could have just traded him if they got something in return that they were interested in, especially considering they really ripped it up, trading Juan Soto and Josh Bell. This team wasn't going anywhere anyways, so I guess no one, no one really wanted him in return. That's probably the case. And for the last few guys I'm going to talk about that were kept, they were all San Francisco Giants. The Giants should have traded him, but they held on to Carlos Rodon and Jock Peterson. I'll also name some other guys they should have traded since they're all on expiring contracts, but they ended up deciding to keep a lot of their veterans to try to make a run, and at the end of the day, I don't think it was a great idea. So now I'm going to talk about some winners at the trade deadline. My first one of the San Diego Padres, receiving Juan Soto, such a generational talent, World Series champion, home run derby champion this year, batting title winner in 2020. Two-time Silver Slugger, only 23 years old, one of the best players in the game of baseball. And as I said, it was a big reason that Washington team won the World Series in 2019. He's such a young and successful player already, 23 years old. You're not going to see anyone traded at such a young age with such great MLB success already. He already has great Major League success. I mean, he was in the MLB at 19 years old in 2018. So obviously Juan Soto is no stranger to the big moment. I mean, if you look at it, he was second in MVP voting in 2021 with 145 walks. He led the MLB in walks in 2021 with 145. He leads the MLB in walks right now with 108. But you look at what he's done in his career in Washington. 291 career batting average with a 427 on base percentage, a 538 slugging percentage, and a 966 OPS. With a career 160 OPS plus in those five years with Washington, now with San Diego, hitting 286 on the year, like I said. But such a great player, and obviously you're not going to see a guy traded at that level again. I mean, look at what he did in 2020. He had a 1185 OPS, a 695 slugging percentage, and a 490 OBP. So that our base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS all led the major leagues and also had a 217 OPS plus in that shortened season, which was also number one in the major leagues and also led the major leagues in intentional walks in 2020 with 12 intentional walks. Then in 2021, led the MLB in walks with 145 as a walk total and had a 465 on base percentage, which was also number one in the MLB with a 177 OPS plus in 23 intentional base on balls, 
which was number one in the MLB as well. So, such a storied and successful player. So, that's why the Padres are a winner, in my opinion, when you get him. They also did give up a ton in return, so I'll talk about Washington in a second. They also added Brandon Drury, and then also got Josh Hader on a deal that honestly probably be a lot better of a deal if he could perform to the degree he was performing in 2021, but he's struggling right now just like Taylor Rogers is, so... I think it's a win considering how much success Hayes has had in the past, but as he's playing right now, it's not too much of a win. And I respect the Owen approach, though, by GM AJ Preller in that San Diego front office. Preller's going all in. I respect that. At the end of the day, you want to win a World Series for a franchise that's never won before. So another winner, the Washington Nationals. So I just talked about them trading Juan Soto, a player that's so prolific and elite at such a young age, 23 years old. And you might think, Trading him, you can't be a winner. But at the end of the day, and there's not often there's a winner. When you trade a superstar, it's not often you have a winner and a winner on both sides. That doesn't happen often, especially considering a player that's so young, a superstar at such a young age, 23 years old, and a player that's so successful and accomplished at just 23 years old, as I said. Not often do you have a winner and a winner on both sides. But I have the Washington Nationals as a winner. And if you look at what they got in return, five players... Three top prospects. Mackenzie Gore was a former top prospect. C.J. Abrams, another former top prospect. And they also got Luke Voigt in return, too. So got a major league piece that had a great 2020 season for the Yankees, has been struggling since then. If you look at what they got in return, I mean, they got an absolute haul. C.J. Abrams, the former number one prospect in San Diego system. They got Mackenzie Gore, former top 10 MLB prospect in 2021. They also got... Outfielder Robert Hassel III, San Diego's number one prospect, number 21 in the MLB. James Wood, San Diego's number three prospect, number 88 in the MLB. And then also Holland Susana, number 14 prospect in that San Diego system. So they got a ton in return for him. So I have the Nationals as a winner. I think that trade will help them rebuild their franchise. I think three to four years from now, when all these guys are in the major leagues, it'll look like one of the best deals both ways. I mean, if the let's say the Padres were to win a World Series, which I know now it's without Tatis. I feel like the wins out of their sales right now for this season, but... No matter what, it could be a win-win deal for both teams. Could be. Especially considering Washington wasn't going to re-sign Juan Soto. 15-year, $440 million contract extension they gave him. He denied it, and they got so much back in return. I know a lot of people might be down about the return. Since, obviously, trading Juan Soto superstar, you don't typically get an even trade back. But I think they got a lot back in return. I think they got a lot back in return. That's why they one of my winners at the trade deadline. As I said, keep your eye on James Wood. That kid's going to be a stud one day. Robert Hassel III will be a stud as well. Hyman Susana throwing 103 miles per hour in the minor league system. All these guys, and Susana's only 19 years old, all these guys are going to be major league pieces, most likely in the next three to four years for that Washington team. So now another winner, my last winner of the trade deadline, a second to last winner that is, the Minnesota Twins. They got Michael Fulmer in a trade from the Tigers. They also landed Taylor Marley, a pitcher from the Reds, and they also got Jorge Lopez. A great ad for their bullpen. So I got the Twins as a winner. I think they did great things in the trade deadline, especially considering they're trying to go all in too, even though not to the same degree getting a guy like Juan Soto, but they have a lot of good pieces now in pitches with Molly and the Foma, and then also Jorge Lopez in the back end of the bullpen. So great pickups for them there. Now the Cincinnati Reds, my last winner, they ripped it up. They ripped it up. And they got four prospects back in return for Luis Castillo, four top prospects. They traded Tommy Pham to the Red Sox for a player to be named later. They sent Taylor Molly to the Twins for three prospects. The Twins' number 7, number 18, number 23 prospects. They sent Brandon Drury on an expiring contract to the Padres for a prospect. And they also sent Tyler Naquin to the Mets for two prospects. So with all of those guys, Pham, Castillo, Molly, 
Drury, and Naquin. All of those guys probably weren't in their long-term interests and definitely weren't going to help them win this year. This team was going nowhere. And they trade all those guys to rebuild their farm system. They ripped it up completely. They're already rebuilding as is. And now they're starting over and rebuilding their farm system from the bottom. From the bottom up. And they got a lot in return for all those guys. A lot in return. For a team that's going nowhere, you're ripping it up and just saying, we'll just quit this season, which they weren't going anywhere anyways, with or without those guys, and said, let's rebuild to the future. That's a great decision by that Reds front office. And now loses in the trade deadline. The complete opposite of the Reds. The Red Sox. They should have ripped it up completely like this Reds team did and got rid of Rich Hill, J.D. Martinez, and everyone else you may not sign in the offseason. A lot of these guys are on expiring contracts going into free agency. A lot of them. Nate Evaldi, Xander Bogats, Michael Walker, J.D. Martinez, Rich Hill. All of them are on expiring contracts. And if your interest is not to sign these guys in the offseason, if you don't think, oh, we're going to sign these guys in the offseason, then why are you keeping them? Why not trade them like the Reds did and get a ton back in return and say, okay, let's quit on this season, cash our ticket in, and call it an end to this season. Let's build for next year, trade all these pieces, and build for the future. Why not? Why not? Because right now this Red Sox team is worse than we were at the trade deadline. Way worse. We're eight games back in the last wildcard spot, and things just continue to get worse. We just swept at home by the Blue Jays, blew last night's game against the Blue Jays. In the eighth inning, leadoff triple by Reese McGuire. It's a 5-5 to ball game, all tied up. Bottom of the eighth inning, Reese McGuire leads off with a triple. Then Kike Hernandez pinch runs for him. So we have a guy at third base that has better speed than Maguire. But it ends up being a waste. They honestly probably should have just kept Maguire in the game since Kike didn't score. And Reese Maguire comes out, good defensive catcher, has a good arm, and then Pulecki goes in and then they start stealing bases on him in the ninth and 10th innings. I believe it was the 10th inning if I remember right now. Boba Shett's still second base. I remember that vividly. So the Red Sox had a chance last night to win the game multiple times. A guy in third base... Lead-off triple in the 8th inning, bottom of the 8th. And then in the ninth inning, had bases loaded, nobody out. Then a strikeout. And then a double play. Matt Chapman, third baseman for the Blue Jays, steps on third, throws to first, ends the inning. I mean, that's just inexcusable. Inexcusable that you can't win a game with bases loaded, nobody out, in the bottom of the ninth in a 5-5 to game. 5-5 to game with bases owed nobody on the Red Sox can't win. So they should have ripped it up. They should have traded Rich Hill, J.D. Martinez, Nate Evaldi, Michael Walker. If none of these guys are coming back, even Xander Bogats. If you don't think any of these guys are coming back, you should have just traded them and ripped it up like that Reds team did and got some things back in return. And the way J.D. Martinez is playing right now, honestly, it doesn't look like you could get really much in return anyways. But the Mets were interested at one point. So you should have pulled the trigger and traded them then. And as I said... The Red Sox are eight games back at that last wildcard spot. So this season is already over, and we're not going anywhere but home come October 5th. I think that's the last game of the year. So the last loser of the trade deadline, the San Francisco Giants. The Giants held on to Jock Peterson and Carlos Rodon. Both those guys on expiring deals were all-stars this year in 2022. And honestly could have got stuff back in return for both of them. They're 61-62 and 62 on the year right now as a record. Five and a half games back of the last wildcard spot in the NL. And they probably should have just ripped it up and got something back in return for Rodon and Peterson. And then they also held on to Wilma Flores, Evan Longoria, and Brandon Belt. Three guys right there that have been on the team for a long time. And obviously, it'd be tough. A lot of those guys are fan favorites. It'd be tough for the Giants to trade those guys, probably. But Flores, Longoria, Belt, 
Rodon and Peterson are all on expiring deals, and you're five and a half games back of the last wildcard spot right now, they should have traded everyone. They should have traded everyone. They did trade Ken Rosendahl, which I thought was interesting. They signed him on July 21st, less than two weeks later, shipped him out after signing him, and traded him to the Brewers. So that's interesting. And now the Brewers obviously get a little bit back in return to their bullpen after trading Hader. And obviously with Taylor Rogers struggling, they could use all the help they could get in the bullpen. And Rosendahl was one of the best relievers in baseball for a five-year stretch. But anyways, the Giants should have ripped it up. They should have ripped it up. Jock Peterson, Rodon, Flores, Longoria, Belt. If anyone had interest in those guys, and I definitely know Rodon and Peterson, they could have got a lot back in return for a team that was trying to make a World Series run and were trying to contend, they'd probably give you know a couple prospects back in return that were good, especially considering they were on expiring contracts. You still could have got something back in return. Now you have the chance, you run the risk of losing all five of those guys in free agency not getting anything back in return. So just like the Red Sox, the Red Sox could have traded Waka, Bogats, Avaldi, Martinez, and Hill. Five guys there, just like the five guys in the Giants, and both teams decided not to trade those guys in the trade deadline. And now you run the risk of not signing any of those five guys in the offseason. I think you've got to sign Bogots if you're the Red Sox, but at the end of the day, who knows with High and Bloom. So High and Bloom's one of my losers of the trade deadline. Bloom and the Red Sox, and obviously the Giants. Each team had five guys on expiring contracts that they could have traded and got prospects back in return, and they decided not to. If you look at it now, it looks like an awful deal for the Red Sox. Eight games back at that last wildcard spot, just got swept by the Blue Jays at home. And for the Giants, five and a half games back at the last wildcard spot in the NL, probably not likely they make it either in the postseason. So both teams should have ripped it up, but at the end of the day, they both try to run with the team they had and obviously didn't work out. And sometimes that's the risk you run, trying to run it with the team you have and not try to build for the future. And at the end of the day, sometimes that's just the way it happens. You don't win either way. You don't win losing those guys in free agency. You don't win by keeping them on the team for the last half of the season since you're not going anywhere. And then you also don't win by not building for the future and getting prospects back in return. So that's just the way it is. But anyways, this wraps up today's episode. I just want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to every episode over the summer. This will be my last episode before I move back into BC tomorrow. I'll have my radio show back again soon, hopefully in the next few weeks. So I'll keep you guys posted about whatever day and time I'm in the studio. And hopefully we can have more guests come on. Thank you so much for all the guests that came on this summer. Mike Hurley, the sports guru, obviously came on a few times. I still have another episode coming out with him soon. And then also Paul from Southie and then Liam Kenny, my buddy that's a defenseman in Michigan playing hockey at Concordia in Michigan. So thank you guys so much for coming on to the show. And everyone else that listened over the summer and texted me about it and gave me your thoughts and opinions and all your hot takes, thank you so much for taking the time to listen every single episode. It does mean a lot to me. And as I said, I love talking sports more than anything. So this was a pleasure to me being able to talk sports every single day. And this actually marks my 40th episode. 40th episode. So 40 episodes over the summer. Very successful summer. Giving you guys a podcast and updating you guys on all the big things in sports. I'm excited to do that again. Live on air. Coming soon again. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Have a great rest of your summer. And until we meet again, thank you and take care.